Welcome to the Mindset Transformation Podcast Show. I'm your host, Sue Guglieri. Each week, I will bring you new episodes on mindset, motivation, and application. Let's jump right in. Now, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode in my week series on International Women's Day. Yesterday, we had the gorgeous Caroline. Today, we have Lola. And Lola's going to be talking about her journey into doing IVS as a single woman, right? And it's something that I have um, a bit of a vested interest in, given that I also went down the IVF route. But I did that um, being in a married um relationship essentially and so I wanted to really get the viewpoint from Lola embarking on what is a really roller coaster of emotions because you've got to now do you've got to consider lots of different things loads of consultation the medication and it is an incredibly tense period in a woman's life to go through that and even, even as a couple, I've seen and read um, many couples that have, you know, it's put a strain on the relationship. So it's not something that one would embark on lightly. And because Lola is such an incredible, like her story is so awe-inspiring, I really wanted to highlight her journey, everything that she's encountered, and really, you know, Break down the stigma that says that family, a family should look a certain type of way. Okay, so I'm going to let Lola introduce herself and then we're going to go deep into her incredibly, her incredible story of becoming a mum. So Lola, introduce yourself, my love. Thank you, Sue. Hello, Um, I am Lola. I'm 32. Um, and I am currently three months pregnant on the road to becoming a solo mummy. Well, I like to think I am a solo mummy, actually, because I'm a mummy now. Now I'm pregnant. I'm already a mummy. There's already all that love and fear and everything going on. So I'm definitely a mummy now. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Go on, keep going. I'm just excited, seriously. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say. I'm currently studying a law degree at the moment. Um, I, oh, clearly, I've just left everything late, making babies, take, getting an education, <laughs> done everything a bit back really um but otherwise yeah I mean I always wanted to be a parent and now that's happening so fantastic so walk us through tell us about why you decided to start IVF on your own was there was there a specific incident that happened had you been in a relationship and you just felt well actually you know what this is not the person that I want to start a family with and rather than just wait and wait and trying to find that right person. I'm at the stage in my life where I feel this is the right time for me to explore becoming a mum. Sure. Um, So I had always, having worked with kids when I was younger, I always knew I loved children. um, And I had always wanted to be a mother. Um, I did say quite a long time ago, many years ago, that if I didn't meet the right guy, then I would have a baby on my own. Um, And then shortly after making that statement, I went into a seven year relationship. (laughs) Um, 
And I had in that relationship intended to get married and have babies. And that was the traditional idea of what I wanted. Right. And, um, and it just didn't work out. I mean, in a way, I almost feel so grateful because he's not the guy I want to have babies with. But at the mm-hmm. time, I was so desperate to make babies that it was the great option. We were going to have a baby together and it was going to be fabulous. Um, you know, it was never going to be the, quite that fabulous. But, you know, I thought it was at the time. Um, we actually broke up in November 2019. Um, and then in December 2019, I was in France with my aunt and I started just browsing sperm banks and seeing what my options were. And then I got back from that trip in January, just before New Year. And I basically told everybody, right, I'm going to have a baby. Like, you know, I'm I'm 32. uh, Well, I wasn't. I was 31 then, actually. Um, You know, I just said to everybody, I've just wasted seven years of my life. I'm not going to give someone another seven years and come out of it nearly 40 and have to do it on my own. I might as well just do it now. So that's it. That's kind of the decision was made. I'm quite a... I make my decisions very quickly. I like to... You're decisive in you're making a decision. I'm very good at making quick judgment calls as well. So as soon as it was like, right, it's done. That's what we're doing. So... (laughs) And and so how would you say the reaction of your friends and family? Did they, you know, were they like, okay, were were behind you 110% or was there a little bit of reservation from them? the very first conversation I had was actually with my aunt in our house in France and interestingly she was single for many many years um, and she actually only got married in her 50s and she did say to me at that point she was all for it she just said well do you know what if I'd had more support my grandparents were very old school by the way Mm. um I come from a very traditional Spanish family (laughs) so my she just said you know I mentioned it years ago to Nan and and no one was on board and she said if I'd had more support I might have done it myself but it it just ended up getting too late so Mm -hmm. you know I'd be there for you if that's what you want to do and that was the first conversation when I was browsing sperm banks talking mm-hmm. about it as a as a maybe mm. and I think that kind of gave me the nudge to be like do you know what am I allowed to swear yeah, yeah. okay so yeah. that was the moment when I just thought fuck it you know I'm gonna do this so I got back <laughs> and I was like right hi dad let's have a chat <laughs> so how so what was dad's response like when you was, my dad isn't a man of many words anyway um <laughs> He likes to be the quiet one in the background watching everybody else. But um, not just like his father, really. Very traditional old school <laughs> Spanish man. Yeah. But um, no, he was very, he kind of just knew, like, I'd really, I'd been up and down in the relationship. Mm. You know, I'd been, we were supposed to have got married. Mm. Um, and it didn't, we broke up before that happened. And my dad knew that I was just a bit like, what the fuck is going on in my life, you know? Yeah, of course. And so, um, I mean, really, at that point, my dad just kind of knew that I was going to do it anyway, really. So he was all for it. He was like, if that's what you want to do, then, you know, of course I'll support you. And, and well, it, it wasn't so much a, yeah, you should do this. It was more of a, if that's what you're going to do, then of course I've got you back. Uh, and that was it, really. And, and what about other family members? What, what was so, like, the rest of my family were great. Um most people typically knew that it's, I'd always wanted to be a mum and I was just yeah. waiting to become one. And so mm-hmm. most people really just jumped at the idea and everybody said, oh, you're going to be great. It was a lot of encouragement. The only place I really found people to be slightly more negative. Well, I'll tell you what happened. 
yeah people aren't, neg- people aren't negative but people will remain quiet if they don't yes. agree and just sort of look oh, congratulations you. you get that i'm gonna sit here quietly and see how this pans out, out. you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so, absolutely but also on instagram obviously you know that i advocate on instagram yeah. for solo motherhood as a choice for under 35s because yeah. it's just not talked about enough but you know um the whole instagram's great there's a whole community that are wonderful but then you get the few people that jump in and you know you're really destroying the natural order of things and I was just like, all right, you with your one follower and your no posts, bugger off, you're gonna delete your account tomorrow. So how does that make you feel hearing or receiving such, you know, negative comments? Because um, because I'm trying to get um a feel that presumably did these comments come when you started your Instagram account or were yeah. they already in your world already from They weren't in my world, no. So these yeah. are people that I I opened my account when I started going solo to share the journey, yes. to meet with other people and and just to 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 share because yeah. I didn't know I didn't have a clue what I was doing when I started. Right. So you've gone down to um the GP and You've you, you sort of said like okay I want to have some tests done. Were you able to get the test or or did you go straight to the IVF um, the IVF clinic? And what informed you? What sort of research did you do in deciding which clinic to first uh, choose from? Because you know you know um, here in the UK we are kind of sort of like spoiled for choice, but it all depends oh, on the, yeah. It all depends yeah. on money, spending power, you know. That's a lot of decision making. Yeah, how deep are my pockets? How committed am I going to go in terms of realising my dreams to become a mum? So talk us through that. Okay. They had said that they'd put me through some blood tests to decide whether I was polycystic or had the syndrome, mm-hmm. which is slightly different. Um, but because of COVID, that took ages yeah. and... In the end, I just thought, I'll oh, sod it. I'm just going to go private. Private's still open. It's still running and working. Um, yes. I know a lot of the private clinics shut down at the beginning of lockdown, but yeah, by the time did. I came round to doing it privately or, or doing having done enough research, um, I think it was around the March I started doing the research. Um, last and that's year. Not really, uh, uh, yes, last year. So yeah. if you think in January I went to the doctor, it really took me a whole year before I got pregnant. Wow. Um, so in March I started doing the research and I looked at the top clinics and basically sort of like the hierarchy of results and, and, and success rates. Yes. And then I took the top 10 and then I looked at where they were located and then I went through all their price lists and worked out every possible thing I might need and how much mm-hmm. that might cost me. And I sat there having a little mental breakdown over it because it was really expensive, uh, a lot more expensive. I had a pocket of money ready to do this, yeah. but um, but it wasn't quite enough. <laughs> um, not for, you know, for some of the clinics that I thought I might have preferred. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people have remortgaged houses and everything to have treatment. So it, it's not honestly, IVF is not for the faint-hearted and this is why I really wanted to share your story and then tomorrow um, Clara she's going to be talking about her IVF her IVF journey but she's married but she did hers um, in Europe I think she did hers either in Denmark so it'll be interesting to hear 
her side uh, um, of doing IVF. When I was looking at the prices, I was at the point where I was thinking, big borrower still, this is happening. Like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to get the rest of the money from, but this is definitely happening. Um, so, you know, so it was a, it was a very determined decision. Um, I happened to ask people about, uh, I think it was online, I think it was on, I don't know whether it was online through my Instagram. I definitely hadn't told anyone on Facebook I'd been doing it yet, friend-wise. Oh, okay. Um, originally, I only told family to start with. Hmm. But um, I had someone reach out and say, have you considered um, egg sharing, uh, which is what I did. So I was like, what's that? She said, you know, where you donate some of your eggs and actually your IVF treatment is subsidised. Um, and every clinic has a different rule. So some will give you uh, expenses back. Some will give you £750. Some will give you a free round of IVF. It's mm. all so different. Um, I won't go too much into my specific circumstances financially, no. but I yeah. got a very, very good deal. Um, and I went uh, with a clinic. So it was pretty much free. Um, it wasn't completely free because I paid for extras and other bits and pieces, but it was. Mm -hmm. I had a really good situation but I was anxious because I was told I was polycystic whether or not I could donate yeah um so the bloody doctor who sat there and told me I'd always struggle to have children was completely wrong because I popped in for my appointment they had a look and went yeah you're fine you've got perfect your yeah. egg res reserve is incredibly high for your age okay, oh great. wow oh wow so, and 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 you know the thing is I think that's a really okay so on the one hand we're doing the IVF, but we're also potentially gifting another childless couple. Well, they are still pregnant. So they are supposedly now they're past the 12 week point. Do you know this? So did the clinic so did the clinic tell you that your ex have been successful with another couple? So I asked, but I am oh, entitled to okay. know because I will also be informed if there's a, li a, a live birth. Um, because that child can then come and find me in 18 years. So there has to be an amount of preparation I can do. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Do you know what? I thought about it quite a lot. The only thing that concerned me was if they got pregnant and I didn't. Um, because ultimately, I've always wanted a big family. Um, it's not worked that way for me at the moment, but I've always wanted a big family. Um, I come from one. And by the time this kid comes knocking on the door, if it does, I'll be in my 50s. And I'll probably have practiced the whole conversation with my child who's probably going to want to go and look for their sperm daddy too. So, you know, yeah. or at least have some idea of, of, of what that conversation is going to be like. Yeah. Um, I've even, you know, you write letters to the family and the child like to open yeah. either when they're 18 or when the family decide they want it. And I've just said the whole way through, you know, if, if you or your parents want to ask any questions, you know, I'm, I was estranged from my mum. So I have no issues with answering questions. If you have any queries or medical concerns, just I'm here. That's absolutely Fantastic. fine with me. That's you know what? That's really, really beautiful. Really beautiful. So we found our clinic. Yeah. We, we've done a selfless act in the sense that we're now helping another ch uh, childless couple. Not entirely selfless, though, because I do. Oh, that's why, yeah. that's why I said so, potentially in the sense yeah. that we're helping another childless couple at the same time. It's helping us realise our dream by, by taking off a bit of that huge financial burden. If you were to go straight by yourself and try and fund your treatment. So walk us through how you then went through the process of finding a sperm donor. Yes, 
Um, so um, one of the things that you have to make sure of, which I don't know if you came across, mm. was that some clinics have specific sperm banks they work with, or some clinics only let people use their sperm bank. No. So, so that's a really important thing to know. My clinic luckily used like four sperm banks, um, the London Sperm Bank, the European Sperm Bank, and then a couple in the US. Um, and I went through them all. Wow. Um, it didn't take me very long to get through the London Sperm Bank. We were in, in the middle of a lockdown and there was basically no sperm. So that was pretty easy. It didn't take very long. Um, I also had a very specific set of characteristics I was looking for. And the London Sperm Bank was just not cutting it. Um, they also don't have as much information. So um, London Sperm Bank, you don't see pictures. You get height, um, age. This is really interesting. Race. Yeah, so there's, it's completely different to, for example, I ended up buying from the America where you got the family medical history and yeah. adult photos and baby photos and you could hear clips of his voice. And oh, my God. So much more in the US and it's you get a lot more genetic information. They do a lot more genetic tests in the US. Mm. And that was really important to me as well because... If I'm going to buy sperm, I might as well make sure I know exactly what I'm getting. So. Exactly. And so how long how long was that process in you going through your list of criteria? And specifically, what, what was a deal breaker for you? What was you really looking for um, in terms of, you know, your criteria for your donor? Because, you know, it's got to be your dad, you know, your kid's dad, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is I ended up with a donor absolutely the opposite of what I went in looking for. Oh, really? <laughs> so I actually had a sperm party. Um, we were not in full lockdown. We could still have people in your house social distance. So I had a social yeah. distance sperm party. Um, <laughs> we did pin the sperm on the egg. We did IVF bingo. We then hooked up the laptop oh. to the TV and went through all the profiles, passed my baby pictures around. It was brilliant. Um, we called it the who's the daddy party, but it was a, a, effectively a sperm yeah, party. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I basically, my original brief to everybody at that party was, I want the baby to have blonde hair and blue eyes and be tanned like me. So it looks like it belongs to me. Yeah. Because if it looks like it belongs to someone else, it's going to feel out of place in my family. Yes. Um, and that was... You know, I know a lot of people have made their decisions for other reasons. I know lots of girls who, who you know, look like me, but have gone with black babies because they yeah. tend to date black men. And that's yeah. what they're going to settle down with eventually. And that's their preference. I don't really have a type. So I just wanted my kid to look like me, mm -hmm. um, ultimately. But finding a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Mediterranean man who gives sperm is a lot more challenging than you think. So uh, that was very difficult. And then he has to match you genetically. Um, so I found um, a couple of donors. One didn't match me genetic. So I then had the genetic test done to match the test they have in the US, which cost me more money again, which is why it wasn't completely free because I paid for extra stuff. Yeah. Um, and it turns out we had a clash. So if you both carry the same recessive, your kid could possibly have that that thing, even if you don't have it and you just carry it. Mm. Um, so I have two conditions. I can't remember what they are now. They're just non-important at this point but I carry two genes um but if my donor had carried the same mm. then the chances of your child having that I think are like 50 percent or something like that or 25 percent but you know you check your kid could get that illness yeah. 
Um, it's a bit like cystic fibrosis. That yeah, kind of it's a significant <laughs> risk for you not to want to go, not to want to use that sperm, you know, whatever the percentage. Exactly. If you're going to be choosing, you might as well yeah. choose the yeah. dog, yeah. really. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so there was that. I'm also CMV negative, um, which they don't check you for if you've got a partner, typically. Um, usually if you're doing donor sperm, basically 70 or 80 percent of people in the world are CMV positive. It's Can you, that kind of what virus. is that? Can you explain? It's, I don't know scientifically, but it's some kind of virus we've all been exposed to in our lives and 80 percent of people have had it. Some reason in my life, I haven't, and me and 20% of the world. So, you know, if you think there's probably like 10 blonde haired, not even 10, but let's just say 10 blonde haired, blue eyed men with tan skin with Mediterranean background, let's take 70% of those away, and you've got three. Three. So <laughs> that really narrowed it down. Um, and for me, and I know this is the worst thing to say, and people don't admit that they look at these things, but, you know, there were some guys with blonde hair, blue eyes, but ginormous ears or ginormous noses and just not going to pick that. You know, I, you know I'm not going to pick for my kid to have unfortunate features. If they do, I'm going to love them anyway, but you're not going to choose it if you're no. going to choose. It's not like you're in love with the guy. Oh, it doesn't matter. I love him. I don't love this guy. He's just giving me sperm. So. And that's it. That's the sum. That time. made it really difficult. So um, I found one I loved and then he went out of stock. And um, because I wasn't able to buy my sperm until they found a family to take my eggs. So, until oh, they so is, oh, is that how it works? So in order for well, you the thing is, if I bought the sperm and kept it in my clinic after 30 days, I pay for the year's storage. Yeah, OK, so it didn't make sense because I didn't know how long it was going to take for them to match my egg with a family. Yes. So I had to wait for the OK. And by the time I got it, my donor was out of stock. Oh. So I did a panic sort of search for another one. Um, and I hadn't thought this in my head. Um, basically, I thought, well, I am actually the only blonde haired, blue eyed one in my dad's immediate family. Like out of all mm. his kids, brothers and sisters. I am the only blonde haired, blue eyed one. Um, and I thought, so I'm trying to make this kid fit into our family, but I don't really fit. So maybe yeah. I'll get someone that looks like the rest of my family. Yeah. And bizarrely, and it does sound bizarre, but, you know, it's not like you're going to shag your sperm donor. I came across the guy that looked a lot like my dad in his 20s. <laughs> but in my 20s, I looked a lot like my dad. So, um, you know, it's the same shape of face. We've all got quite big mouths, you know, Um you know, I'm a lot fatter and rounder now, so is my dad. But back in our 20s, we both were quite chiselled. We have a specific face shape. And this donor tended to have that. So I just thought, do you know what? He's got my dad colouring, hair colour, pretty much looks the same. He's got the same build my dad had in his 20s. My dad was a bodybuilder, so is this bloke. I was wow. like, do you know what? We'll just go with that. <laughs> so, um, and I'm pregnant. So, you know. Right. So, and so you paid for it. <laughs> You've selected your donor. And then they have to now ship this precious cargo into the UK. How long did that take? And was and was that an anxious wait for you as well, receiving that phone call? It wasn't call? really. I, I paid on the Monday. It was in my clinic on the Wednesday. Or oh, wow. I, I think I paid on the Tuesday and it was in my clinic on the Thursday. My clinic usually only do deliveries on a Wednesday, but they rushed it through. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Let's <laughs> Yeah, so they rushed it through. So it was there within two days. It didn't take long at all. Um, and once it was there, I was like, oh, my God, my 
sperm's here. I have sperm. Would you That's excited? Grown up purchase I've ever made in my life. Um, <laughs> and then, so once the sperm hits the clinic, then they have to just give you a a treatment plan. So get your dates. In this time, though, they've been monitoring my periods. Yeah. Um, put me on the contraceptive pill. Yeah. Um, because they have to sync me up with the other recipients. So that yeah. basically when they do your egg collection, you'll probably remember this. But five days later, you get a fresh transfer if you're having a fresh one. Yeah. And fresh is always better than frozen. Typically. So ideally, both of us would have had a fresh transfer with my eggs. So that's why they had to sync us up. Oh, um, yes. So, yeah, so I'm like, when can I come off my pill? When can I come oh, off the pill? Tell me when to come off. Oh, <laughs> I was God. ready. I was preparing. So when did you start? How did you respond to all of the um, hormone treatment? You know, the medication, the injections. Did you have to do the nasal spray? No, I only had injections. Um, okay. I, I had so I had, what did I have? I had... Gone left. I don't know if you remember that. That's like a pen. You twist it to the right. Yeah, yeah, yes, it lasts yes, a few, yeah, few yeah, goes. Yeah. Um, you just change the needle. I had gone left um, originally. Yes, yes, and yes. I didn't respond quickly to that. So they then added Menopure. Um, so basically to give my eggs a kick up. They told me I had sleepy eggs. Um, so they weren't doing much. I had a lot of them, but they weren't really doing anything. <laughs> So they threw that in, um, and at the beginning, I didn't really notice anything. I was a little yeah. bit teary, um, but then, you know, we were in the middle of lockdown. I probably would have been a bit teary anyway, but yeah. after about three or four days, the bloat was insane. Um, you know, they ended up getting 23 eggs. So if you think, you know, 23 that eggs being like stretched to as big as you can possibly get. The night before the egg collection, I was lying on the sofa in tears saying to my dad I just want it over with now I just want them out I can't do this I can't even hoover my own lounge you know like I was in bits absolute bits it was so painful but despite the pain I woke up the following morning I was like I'm having the exactly you was excited weren't you I was and bizarrely I actually haven't told anyone this publicly yet but bizarrely in the cab journey I got an uber but obviously you put in your destination and the driver went do you mind if I, it was five o'clock in the morning as well. Do you mind if I ask you if you're having IVF? And I went, yes, I am. He's like, we had IVF and God, that's how we got our son. And, you know, it was really nice to share the story. And it was just what I needed before going in for oh. IVF, I guess. The universe, the law of attraction. That's what that it is. It was amazing. You know, and just having someone say, I know how much this means to you. Really good luck. You know, I was just like, oh, God, yeah. You know, really hormonal. Oh, my God. Exactly. And you know, about, is, you, know. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I think, I think, unless you go down this journey of IVF, I think people tend to, those that have not gone down this route, maybe there may be a perception that there isn't that emotional connection yet. And everything else is all being done, you know, by signs in a Petri dish. But for me, when we did it, I had the emotional connection from the very first snort of the nasal spray. So I was yeah. full mold into, right, this, it, this matters, you know, the medication matters, everything matters. So oh, I was yeah, that first time you inject, did you inject? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you have, have I done that right? 
Yeah, exactly. So I was fully invested <laughs> in this whole yeah. journey from start to finish. Is that how you felt as well? The whole way through. I mean, I kept referring to them as the mini eggs. So every yes. day I was like, come on, little mini eggs, you can grow. And exactly. I spoke to the eggs, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So when you had the egg collection and um, you f- you're not feeling as groggy and they told you the number, like, damn, girl. <laughs> I know. It's a lot of veggies. Um, do you know what? It was really... Um, the finding out the number I was just delighted because I knew I was giving half of them away yeah. so <laughs> I was like oh my god that's fine um I think one thing you know that really I should have paid attention to instead of getting overly excited was they do say you just need one good egg and actually I never ended up with any frozen eggs so out of all my eggs and embryos and mature ones, I ended up having one good blastocyst and one that was almost there, which I made them put in as well, rather than it dying in a dish. It could have died. Yeah. We could have just seen what we could have done with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, out of all of that, I got what, I mean, it only takes one. We don't know this. You know, but so the fit, a lot of people are like, I didn't get many eggs. I'm so disappointed. I would always say to them, like, no you might have got a really good in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't That's really how care. I You're felt. That's how I felt. I only got 10 eggs and I was like, I was proper deflated. But That's then, huge compared to so many, Sue. You see, yeah. most, a lot of people going through IVF are doing it because they don't have many eggs and yeah. their chances are so low to start with. Yeah. You know, um, people's stories are just so different. But but you say I only got 10. People yeah. At that time, I felt, yeah. At that time, I felt deflated, but then automatically I sort of changed the language that I was saying to myself. I was like, listen, we don't need all 10 eggs. We just need one solid, strong, healthy, good egg to work. That's all, that's all we need. That's all we needed. And we ended up um, having four that were, no, yeah. So we had four, two got put back and we kept the remaining two um, in storage. So at that point in time. Before you went in to have your egg collection and now you've had it, was you a little bit nervous about the about the amount of eggs that they could potentially retrieve? Was you? The reason is because the, the, the deal you get for sharing eggs only works if you have at least a certain number to share. Oh, I didn't so mean that. Suddenly I'd had less than four eggs to give away, or I can't remember the exact number, I think it was four, then I would have had to pay for all the treatment. So oh, everything. Wow. So that's I an additional pressure as well on you as well, isn't it? It is a little bit. It, it, it's a, in my head, it was the back of mind fear because, you know, you're scanning every day. They're counting follicles every yeah. day. You know what yeah. you're And they're measuring as well, aren't they? When they're looking in the screen, they're doing all that's that. That's it. And, and, you know, I am polycystic and typically polycystic people have more eggs. And that is just mm. fact. I, I wasn't expecting to get five, you know. I had to get at least eight. I was, I was hoping, but there was always that oh shit what if it all goes wrong you know <laughs> kind of oh, moment oh so when he was that you know and and the embryologist was in there and I spoke to her obviously afterwards to find out the update she was like oh I was in your collection the eggs just flew out of you and I was like oh my oh, gosh that's amazing so, 
So we've got our eggs and now they, they're examining them, looking at to see which ones are the most um, healthiest. Of, and now we'll do, and now they, um, did you do ICSI? I think we should explain what ICSI So I did, and but not by choice. Um, so um, I hadn't wanted to do ICSI. I didn't think I needed to because I bought quality sperm and I knew I had good quality eggs from what yeah. they had originally said. Well, I thought I had good quality eggs until they all started dying off. <laughs> but um but no so but actually my day of my egg collection I was delighted by the numbers and then in recovery I got a phone call to the room from the lab saying look your sperm uh, hasn't defrosted properly um we've got a really low sperm count here and I was like well I've spent over a thousand pound on it so do you want to tell me what I need to do um you know and they were just like you know you instead you should have like a 20 million volume you've got like two million which sounded like a really large number to me so at the beginning I was like yeah and what what does that mean you're not telling me me 10 you're you're telling me two million sperms you know there's only like nine eggs there go for it Um, and she said, you know, at this point, we would always recommend ICSI. Um, and ICSI, like you say, it's, ICSI is a choice. So it's, it's, you can either put the eggs in the dish, as they do, with yeah. the sperm, and then hope they find each other and figure it all out, um, which I thought having good eggs and lots and lots of good sperm Ooh, that you spend lots of money on would happen. Um, but unfortunately, because of the bad thawing half that my sperm died so you know there we go was that down in the clinic and how they store no I mean, just some, unfortunate? I mean no sometimes when you freeze your eggs not all yeah eggs yeah, properly, yeah. Just, you know there's no yeah. way of knowing um I have to say the sperm bank were really bad about managing it um they, they haven't offered me anything in return um but but back to ICSI ICSI is basically for anyone that doesn't know where they inject the sperm into the egg directly so ideally all the eggs will fertilize if they're if if the the sperm is good quality and the egg is good quality if you put them together they're going to fertilize um so I think actually I've got the numbers here hang on one second I have 23 eggs I got to keep 12 so I donated 11 Oh wow! Of my twelve, seven were mature, and by the next morning, six had fertilised. Um, so that's with the ICSI. Um, I don't get to know an awful lot about the eggs I donated, except that eight were mature. Um, so they don't look at them; they just split them, and then you get what you get. It's yeah. to make it fair. Um, yeah. So they got eight mature. I got seven mature. I don't care now. I'm pregnant, so are they yeah, all okay. fine. <laughs> um you know but um but yeah but so by the end of the first day I had six fertilized eggs from the ICSI but obviously one had stopped growing by day three one was a bit crappy grade I don't really understand the grading but you know average and one was great um so yeah so so by the time it got to my actual transfer so we've done our egg collection our embryos are fertilized they're good we've reached a blastocyst stage now we're doing embryo put back implant how was you feeling that day on the transfer day i think i was more excited and nervous um because at that point you can't do anything else but I did have like a I went into the appointment with a slight kind of 
right, they're going to listen to me because the whole way through, they tried to tell me that I should only implant one embryo. Oh, really? Because of my age, because of the risk of multi... And because I don't have fertility issues, I'm there because I'm solo, not because I can't conceive. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Multiples would have been quite... was quite a high risk. Um, And, you know, it got to the point where I just thought, well, I'm just going to tell them. I'd rather have twins than no babies, so stick them both in, you know? We did. My, my, um, I have to say, my consultant who actually did the treatment was amazing. He was so funny, and I felt so at ease. But you know, and he said to me, "This is my advice. This is what we would want you to do." I completely get it. There are other circumstances, financial. You know, it's your decision. And I really respected that because until that point, everyone had told me that I was going to have to fight for it because they don't like doing it, and they don't like oh, doing it to women under a certain age you know, giving them multiple transfer. Yeah. Uh, and he was just so good. I mean, we, you know, I was so anxious, nervous. Like I didn't even realise I was making jokes like, come on, let's make a baby. And he was oh, just like, yes. all right. <laughs> so, so how many embryos did you put back? Was it one or two? Two. I had, I had to put oh, back. I was the only well. one of them made it, so. Uh, I had to put back, and I'm not even joking. I was bricking it the entire time till when we did the pregnancy test, till when we did the scan. And I kept on saying, you know, twins are deceitful. You've got to look really, really manoeuvre that probe around, okay, seriously. Make sure the other one is not hiding behind the first one. Because I, I genuinely did not want twins. But I, re- but I knew that because, and I wasn't even that old, right? I was 35. But in my... But, you know, to them, um, I, I'm an older mum, but I also knew that I want to give myself the best chance of having a successful pregnancy. And because we had had multiple miscarriages, I was like, okay, then, you know, put two back, but secretly, I only wanted one. So how did you feel? So they've put two back, was you nervous? What would you have done? Actually? I had twins. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I kind of convinced myself I'd be really okay. I mean, the thing is, I I, I do want a sibling. Yeah. You know, in my head, I didn't. I don't want to have one baby because if I only end up being the only parent later down the line, if mm. anything happens to me, that kid's on its own. Yeah. I wanted it to have a best friend forever. Like you yeah. know, you, you're never going to be on your own kind yeah. of thing. And I thought, if I have twins, I mean, I get to be fat and knackered and get it all out of the way once. You know, that's brilliant. <laughs> Um, you know, it wasn't my dream to have twins first time round, but I yeah. wasn't really terrified by the idea. I was quite excited by the idea of, oh, at least then I don't have to do this again. You know, I mean, yeah. I bloody hated the process. You oh, know, really? I, I which part it. of the process did you hate the most? Which part did you find particularly... The swelling and, and leading up to... I didn't have a terrible egg collection. I had no symptoms. After my egg collection, I was very comfortable, actually. I didn't... Oh, okay. Um, I'd heard terrible things, but I was actually okay. Um... But leading up to it, like the swelling and waiting around and the scans and, you know, getting your vagina out every other day for someone else to have a look, you know, yeah. at this point, everybody's seen my hoo-ha. So, you know, it was just one of those things. And um, and I just remember thinking, oh, I'd love to not have to do this again. Mm. You know, like I just, it would be really, but I went into it thinking, IVF, I'm going to make a baby. It's going to be so exciting. And I think I let myself down because I was spent a lot of time feeling really shit about doing IVF because it hurt and I was swollen and I was lazy and dopey and lethargic 
Mm. And I was like, I'm, you know, I know it sounds really ungrateful, you know, making a baby. And a friend of mine who's been through it as a solo mum as well, she said to me, Oh wow, there's nothing exciting about injecting yourself and there isn't. a vagina scanned every day and waiting. She yeah. went, it's okay to not be really excited about it. It's yeah. pretty shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, because the thing is, okay. I think there's a difference and there, you know, there's a distinction in not liking the process, but still being super positive about the outcome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so there's, you know, there's, there's two different things. So, I don't like needles and I definitely do not like having to put anything. I will, won't put anything up my nose. If my nose is blocked, it will remain blocked because I'm not sticking up <laughs> that. No, seriously, I can't. I just, my nose is too small, first and foremost, okay? And I'm just, and it doesn't need any, it doesn't need anything going up there. So the idea of, of me having to, inhale or snort that little medication into my nose it was awful so I didn't like that part but I was super positive I knew instantly that this round of IVF was going to be successful I, there was zero doubt in my mind so I feel as though it's okay not to like something it doesn't mean that we're thinking what we're thinking negative about that particular process because there's lots of things in life in life that we don't like but it doesn't mean that we we, we should be negative about that do you know what I mean so yeah I how many women have horrendous pregnancies yes exactly they hate being pregnant but of hey. course they're not going to yeah. say I don't want the baby yeah exactly I don't like I I never liked being pregnant and I've only got very few photos I just for me like when I see um the trend of having is it a post or pre-pregnancy photo shoots I could never be me could never be me like just I don't know it's just me but that doesn't mean that I don't love to have, you know, the whole process of having the child. I love all of that. I just don't like the, the you know, the, the, in the middle part of it, if you will. So we've done our egg transfer. Now we are doing the waiting game. How on earth did you get through that? And what did you do to try keep you sane? Was your, did your friends pay a pivotal part in that waiting process, particularly the one that has, particularly your friend that you mentioned that she too, she's a solo mum as well. Were, you know, were her pearls of wisdom that support there for you just to help you stop counting down the seconds, minutes, hours, weeks? <laughs> so this question, you don't know me very well. I did not wait. <laughs> I, I did do. not wait. Um, I, I, I know you did, but because I've been I tested you, I from the to, day I, I had the transfer. What you did. <laughs> I so, know. Um, so from the day after the transfer, first of all, after the transfer, I was terrified that I weed the, the eggs out. Because, oh, you know, you have to go with a full stomach and then obviously a full bladder, rather. Yeah. And as I got home, I was like, I really have to wee now, you yeah. know, and I thought I'd lost them then. Um, but I, from the next day, I, I test, I peed on a stick every day. Um, I wanted to check that I was 
I had cleared the trigger because I've seen online, and this is another thing about IVF, there is a lot of loss on on social media and yeah. going into IVF, that's terrifying because yeah. you want to get your positive and be happy, but there are so many people who get their positive and two days later it's gone or get to scan and there's no heartbeat. And you know, yeah. it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And so I wanted to test out the trigger so that I didn't get a false positive so that when I got it, I knew I, I need to be in control now. I need to know what I'm dealing with. You know, I, I, that's me. So yeah. I peed on a stick every day. And, um, but I happen to have had my transfer on the same day as a girl who, as someone else, that so she had her collection and transfer the same day, but she had her work, her treatment in check. I think it was. Oh, okay. Um, and so we were peeing on sticks together, like, oh, how's your stick? You know, yeah. nothing on mine, you know. <laughs> so that kind of got me through that period. Um, everyone kind of left me to it because I had said I wanted an amount of privacy. Oh, yeah. Because I, if it was bad news, I didn't want to have to say to every call everybody and update them or have everyone yeah. call me and, and say, how's it going? And have to keep telling people, well, it didn't yeah. work, you know. Um, so I'd kind of already told people, like, back off. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but obviously this girl and I were going through the same experience. And on her day four, she got a really fine line. And I remember thinking, well, this hasn't fucking worked, has it? You know, <laughs> you know what is going on? And being absolutely mortified that I didn't have a line. And I think I put a, a, an Instagram story up on the day going... Well, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure this isn't working. I've got a really serious feeling about it. And oh then the next morning God. I've got my faint line. <laughs> <laughs> so and it turns out she got her line a day earlier than me, but she was also at the time carrying triplets. And we found that out. She had done a double transfer and had triplets. She's now only got twins. Things haven't quite gone the oh, way they okay. should have. But she was carrying triplets. So of course her hormone levels were going to be a little bit higher than mine. <laughs> so oh, wow. um you know so she got her early test and she I mean she's got brilliant so you should have seen the video of when she got hers you know they're at the scan again how many embryos did you put in two I'm seeing three babies and her face <laughs> it's just insane oh my god I would have fully rolled off the floor like just doof. I mean she was literally like this for 10 minutes on video like she just couldn't comprehend yeah. what she was being done I mean even my dad said to me you know well don't do two if there's a chance of, of twins or triplets and I was like triplets would be a push twins would be all right but I still would rather three than none you know and I've been through these scenarios in my head and her and I had spoken about that oh it's so unlikely that of course they're going to try and put you off they don't like doing it and then she ended up with triplets oh my god that is just no. Amazing. So we get to the day. Yes. Well, actually, okay. I don't want to say it, but you say it because we didn't. Okay, good. Yeah. So let's talk about the. Let's talk about when we got the positive test result. So yes, yeah, so the positive test result I got on day five after the transfer, although I was supposed to test on day nine, um, and I continued testing day and night uh the whole way through just to make sure the line wasn't going to go away and was getting stronger and you know I then went to a clear blue instead of a first response I was like oh my god the line is lighter yeah. and um realized that the blue dye tests are just a bit shit really aren't they it's the pink ones <laughs> you've got to buy um <laughs> no, just to anybody who's starting IVF don't buy clear blue it's supposedly the more reputable brand they're crap yeah so, uh, <laughs> 
But um, yeah, so I was I kept waiting till like, it would show on a digital then, and I was like, come on, the ones are two week on the digital. So clear blue digital are fun, but they also take longer to show than a pink. Pinks dye tests tend to be more sensitive. Oh, okay. And um, so yeah, until I got my digital, and then my best friend came over because we were bubbling at the time. Um, it was Christmas Eve and then we decided to properly announce she helped me put a little you know picture together to share with the world and uh, properly announced that the baby was uh, was on the way and that was very exciting what was terrifying though is a lot of people I don't know if you had this with your clinic but mm -hmm. most clinics um, once you've got to that uh, day nine they will um, do a blood test. I don't know if you had a blood test. I had a blood before. test, yeah. Yes, yeah, so my clinic test. don't do it as a standard, but I could have paid for it. But my clinic were closed because it was Christmas. Oh, so I'm there peeing yeah, cool. every day until the middle of January, really. So I probably spent about £100 in pregnancy tests. Oh, my God. <laughs> At Christmas time as well. Oh, my God. So we've got the pregnancy test. We're now pregnant. It is official. When, how long, because of, obviously, because of um, COVID, did you feel that you would have preferred to have waited till you got to this stage now? Or do you feel, because, you, because you've been so open and honest and you are sharing your IVF journey, it just made more sense to announce it on your platform? And what do you think, and what was the response that you got from some of your followers? So um, the response was amazing. Everybody was really, really, really pleased for me. They'd been sort of invested in the journey. So everybody was just like, oh my God, you know, I, I had actually messaged a few people prior to sharing because my, my test day was supposed to be Christmas day, mm. um, but not one, you know, I got my Christmas wish, but not everybody I suppose would have that year. So I wanted to, announced the day before so I didn't ruin anyone's Christmas anyone having a sensitive time not maybe having had loss recently right. um, and there are a few people that I knew that were going through the journey and actually hadn't fallen pregnant around the same really? time so I warned them before I did it that I was going to be announcing just to let you know you know I'm happy if you mute me or whatever but I'm going to be announcing maybe Christmas Eve Christmas Day then obviously I decided against Christmas Day um <laughs> I had so in terms of sharing, I'm I I would never have waited twelve weeks. So I can't keep a secret. I've never been able to keep. You're a like secret. me. I can't keep a secret. Um, <laughs> if like, you tell me it's a secret, I can keep it. But I'll be sitting yeah, there like, I can't oh, keep God, when can secret. I tell someone? <laughs> yeah, but I can't keep my own secret. Exactly. That's it. Um, but so no, so I had again because I've shared the whole IVF journey on Instagram. I had said to people, I'm going to be a bit more elusive with the dates from the time I have the treatment because I don't want yeah. anyone to guess when my test day is, and I don't want people asking. I want the privacy to announce in my time. Yeah, um, people were quite good about that. Although I did get a few any news. <laughs> um, generally, people were quite good about that though. Um, but then I got really excited and was like, I'm in the. I'm here. I'm having my egg collection. I, I was really crap at, at being elusive about the dates. Um, but and then people tended to know that my test date was Christmas Day because after I got my positive, I told people. So people weren't asking up until that point. So I then announced on Christmas Eve. So it was still a bit of a shock. People weren't expecting it yet. <laughs> um, I never, you know, I've got an issue. I know people that have lost. Um, 
I understand people will go through IVF multiple times sometimes and have no luck and it's very sad and they don't want to keep having the conversation so they keep yeah. any positives to themselves until they're sure and that is absolutely someone's choice yeah. but I got a lot of comments from people about oh you should have waited or yeah oh, you know my friend announced early and then she had a miscarriage and <laughs> I kind of thought to myself two things really first of all well I've already made the decision so telling me someone else's misfortune isn't going to make me change my mind now it's already out there yeah. I can't change it so why why do I need to hear these horrible things yeah and secondly um you know I was speaking to a friend about my decision and we discussed basically the fact that Everything to do with women and women's bodies mm. is dictated by how other people, usually men, are going to feel. Yes. So, you know, don't talk about periods. Oh, yeah. how horrible is that? Exactly. Well, I what's more horrible than hearing about periods is fucking having one. Yeah. Or going exactly. to the shop and bleeding on your brand new dress. Or, you know, that's yeah. worse than, than you hearing that I'm on a period. I mean, we yeah. all bleed. You, you know we bleed. It can't be much of a surprise when yeah. you hear it. Exactly. You know, and then pregnancy, you know, oh, keep it to yourself in case you have a loss. Why? Because if I have a loss, it makes you uncomfortable having to talk yeah. about it. Because actually, if I have a loss, I want everyone there to support me. Yeah. And know, also, why should it, everything about women's bodies be shameful and, and uncomfortable? And, you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah, a, boo, it, and it's a boo. Usually almost. because a man's decided. But, yeah. you know, it shouldn't be that way. And also, also because I remembered um, when you did that um, Instagram story, and it really annoyed me because I was thinking that, why is it easier for us to automatically assume the worst as opposed to why can't we look at all of the success stories and project that as a yeah. positive, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is this, if you look at what is involved, okay, scientifically, what's involved to get pregnant, whether you're yeah. doing it via IVF or you're going down the natural, you know, having a entanglement, if you will, okay, <laughs> right? If you look at it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're never really out of the woods until you're holding that baby. Do you know what I mean? That's it. And can I just say, like, you know, it's society that yes. decides. Yeah. And that that's the danger zone because actually if you look at the stats the risk once you've seen a heartbeat the risk goes to 20 percent yeah actually miscarriage it goes down to 20 percent and then i don't know the actual stats but i think it goes down again when you get to eight weeks See? and then when you get to uh to like 10 to 11 weeks mm. the risk is something like eight percent and it's so much lower but everyone says when you get to 12 weeks yeah that's the same period yeah, that's the same period. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I know it. You know why that is? That's because people look at the results of the, you know, the chromosomal concerns and things like yeah, that yeah. and make decisions. So yeah. it's more about people's shame again. If I make the decision not to continue the pregnancy, I don't have to have told anybody. I it's do. more about yeah. people's shame rather than actually the pregnancy itself. Yeah. You know? no. You know, I, you know, I completely 110% agree. So when you were getting, so when you received those, you know, negative comments, did you feel, or, you know, did you feel like, okay, you know, I want to take a step back now and I just want to be in my little bubble and enjoy that moment? Or did you just feel, you know what, screw you. I don't care. This is my journey and you are not going to steal my joy. I know who I am and, you know, so on and so forth. Pretty much, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm really big on putting a bully back in the box. Um, I don't, I don't do 
bullies. I don't do people who feel like they can manipulate other. I just yeah. I have a real sense of, well, no, everybody is everybody, you know. Yeah. You don't get to encroach on anybody else's life. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. A bit dusty in here. Sorry. Um, I have to hoover again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't like it. I mean, I very rarely respond individually. So I never give the bullies a direct message back. I will never, mm. ever respond That's and good. that time of day. That's good. I will occasionally, after five or six or however many messages of the same tone, maybe respond openly, but normally yeah. with a, please fuck off, I'm living yeah. my life the way I want to. You know, I will never, you know, if you're hiding behind a screen or also, you know, it's just, it's not just over pregnancy. I put up that I was going on a date the other day because um, mm. I am okay with dating during pregnancy. I know not everybody is, but I'm okay with that. And I've got messages immediately talking about we're in lockdown. Don't you know we're in a lockdown? How irresponsible. I mean, you are allowed to go on a park date. Just warriors. around a park. Yeah. That's not illegal. I'm also training to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be breaking the law. But thank you. I didn't realise after months of sitting in my freaking living room that we were in the middle of a lockdown. Cheers for the heads up. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, who are you to decide? Absolutely. As a grown woman, I needed to be informed. Of all people, I'm pregnant. I'm not going to be taking any extra risks, am I? Of course, of course. And so, because obviously, as I said at the start of um, today's um, episode, this is um, celebrating International Women's Week, Women's Day. So, how um, how important do you feel it is for a woman to have? to take charge, to feel that, you know, to have that confidence in perhaps breaking down stereotypes and stigmas in terms, you know, whether it's in the workplace or, you know, here um, in, uh, with your story in wanting to start um, a family. How important do you feel that as women, we should feel comfortable about wanting to do what we want to do with our lives and whether that be start a family you know um solo or adopt or whatever the case may be how important do you feel that these you know stories such as yourselves should be shared more and we should just be having these open conversations about fertility starting a family being a mum we should be having them because people don't know that they can do it um you know there are lots of people more doing it than you'd realize once you get into those communities solo mum communities you know people are doing it but there is a huge stigma around doing it while you're not still on the shelf well you know where you've not been left on the shelf so exactly. I'm 32 you know the idea of doing IVF under 35 if you're not married seems unusual but if you're 27 and you're married and you've been trying it's not unusual to do it exactly. so you know one of the things um that I've told you before that really bugged me when I when I first started talking to people about wanting to do IVF was I got a lot of comments about oh but you're so pretty you've got lots of time you know as if had I been a complete minger that no one was ever going to marry then of course you know they would expect me to go and do IVF you know no one's going to marry me I'm never going to have kids if I don't do it by myself <laughs> but you know but the fact that you know you're, what you look like should determine whether or not you should do it you know no one's relationship status or or, or their physical attributes should decide if they they have the right or or the, the qualities to be a parent no, you know it doesn't matter if you're 25 I know someone that's done it on her own at 25 
you know I know people that have are in their 20s that have had incredible rape trauma and mm -hmm. don't want to be intimate with a man again but they still want to be mothers exactly why should that not be an option for them you know it should be normalized that if you want to be a mother regardless of your circumstances you can be a mother good I and you know what I agree a thousand percent and that's really why I wanted you to actually because you know, you saying it and you sharing your story actually adds a lot of authenticity and credibility into this whole conversation about us being women, holding on to our truth, taking that decision. So what piece of advice would you give to anyone, a woman, or you know what, even indeed, just because it's International Women's Day week and this is a show specifically for women, there could be guys, right? There could be guys out there that want to start a family. What piece of advice, but obviously we can gear it towards women, but you know, just in general, what piece of advice would you give to anyone thinking about going on this incredibly exciting, challenging emotionally charged journey of trying to start a family on their own just do it that is the only advice don't sit and think about it you know I spent ages thinking about you know um am I financially ready yeah. all these things well two weeks after falling pregnant I lost my job so that threw a spanner in everything you know I could never plan for that um <laughs> You know, you know, you may never be in a better financial situation than you are now. Yeah. But are you still going to want to be a parent in five years' time? Probably, yes. You know, whatever it is you're waiting for, as long as it's not you want to achieve something first, because you yeah. have the absolute right to have done that. But if you're waiting for circumstances to change or someone else's opinion to change, or yeah. just do it. Just don't wait for anything. You know things might not change. The, my dad said, you know, you're never ready. None of us were planned. You know, it just happened. You deal with it when it happens. You know, if you want it, make it happen. Only you can make things happen for yourself. Only you are responsible to yourself. You're I, the only person who you are accountable to. If you think you can do it, just do it. Gosh, I, I say this all the time. You are the most important person in your world. And the opinions of other people have nothing to do with you. It's none of your business. This is your life. and You should take full responsibility for it. So just before we wrap up. Yes. Can you give either one to five um, top tips when, when starting IVF and what to look out for in terms of clinic? Um, egg donation, sperm donation. So yeah, okay. top five. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in no particular order, because I'm no not trying my head to work out what things to, to yeah, things to bear in mind, and the you know the crucial steps that you've learned in your oh. journey so far. So my advice would be. Always think about whether my first advice would be always consider whether you would egg share. Right. Okay. Um, because that will change your approach to your treatment, the cost of your treatment. That would be the starting point. If you can't, then you know you can't, and everything else moves on from there. Yeah. If you if it is something you could do, then you know you could do it, you know, and then you look down that route. So that's my first point. Always consider that as a first option. Right. Um, second bit of advice, learn to have some patience. 
and find lots of things to distract you because if you're anything like me you'll drive yourself insane if you don't um, <laughs> and patience is a very difficult part of the journey for me um number three don't just take the answers you're given make sure you understand things so when a clinic says this is the treatment plan for you ask them why is that suitable for me yeah. explain to me why that's the best option for me yeah. question me, everything you know. yeah of course have a sperm party would be my number four um <laughs> uh, get people involved in the conversation yeah. get people involved feeling like they're included understanding the choices you'll make but ultimately know that it's your decision. Absolutely. Um, but do bring people along for the conversation because they won't understand as much as you do. They won't really know, but also not just so they understand because they need to understand yeah. because you want people to understand quite how difficult it's going to be. People That's don't understand cool. and grasp quite how emotional and quite how physically demanding it is until you tell them. Yes, for sure. You know, make sure people know. Yeah. And number five, I think, don't do it don't get pregnant in lockdown if you can help it and the reason I say that um, and that's a big reason I thought I'd be absolutely fine getting pregnant during lockdown and I'd just sit at home and get fatter and happier and I wouldn't care because I didn't want to do anything or see anybody because I'd be getting more pregnant and staying safe mm -hmm. but I think I've really lacked in the fact that you know when you get pregnant I've waited so long to have a baby and for the circumstances to be right and you know you make all this fuss of everybody who gets pregnant before you and ah oh, yeah. you know all the hugs and the congratulations laugh yeah. and actually I haven't had any of that you know there's only so excited someone can be on the phone for you yeah. um you yeah. know and I haven't had any of the hugs and yeah. you know now I'm three months in so there's only six months left we're not going to come out of this anytime before June so what are we now February oh. March April May June so it's four months yeah so you know june july august babies due at the very beginning of september so i've got two months mm. you know i'm not going to want us to go around and socialize i'm going to be fat and knackered and be preparing for the baby yeah so this is kind of the last bit where it's about me before the baby comes and i haven't had it be about it's not been about me no. it's been about lockdown it's been about and lockdown. it's been a little bit ah oh, that's nice on the phone but there's no hugs and there's no love and there's no let's go for a celebratory lunch and you know all the <laughs> oh, families yeah. together and my nieces and nephews there's no, been no tummy rubbing and oh there's a baby cousin in that there's been yeah. none of that yeah I've missed all of that so I would say if you can plan it to not fall on a lockdown then that would be my advice because it's not been great I've, I've loved being pregnant don't get me wrong I've loved being pregnant and I, I've loved being indoors and away from all the danger out there and the covid and yeah, the germs. germs and everything but I just I haven't had the pregnancy experience that I have spent my life dreaming of I guess that's the best way to describe it so um I think we've um, covered everything and you've been amazing you've answered you. all of the questions that I felt would give a really good informative frank conversation and really help anyone that may be considering starting a family by themselves but most importantly highlighting the courage and the independence that is you and how we as women we are able to take charge of our bodies and how we want to live our life whether that be starting a family starting a business you know getting um, getting an education we can we encompass so many wonderful amazing things that we do that it's just a shame that 
were only ever really highlighted in the month of March or the week of March, um, March the 8th for International Women. Yeah. And I wanted to drag and share lots of different stories of super inspirational women such as yourself. So thank, thank you, you so much, my darling, for sharing. Thank you for having me. No, it's been an absolute pleasure and honour. And also, everyone, I'm going to share Lola's Instagram handle so you can follow her amazing journey and she also and, and the thing is not only does she post um stuff about herself she's also super super informative and she does post other information about IVF pregnancy tests can you tell everybody what your Instagram handle is Lola yep it's make underscore me underscore a underscore mummy so come to make me a mummy and uh Find out more about IVF and solo motherhood and hear me shouting about, you know, why we should be allowed to do it under the age of 35 with, without <laughs> stigma. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said, I'm going to leave all of the information to her handle so you can follow her. You can even, you know, if there's if there's anything that we haven't covered in today's episode and you do want to know more information then as I said feel free to uh, reach out to Lola she's super super approachable I know her I know her for some time so yeah I'm just super excited super super excited to see our little cargo our precious cargo and it's in September which is Ori's birth month by the way it is yeah 15 and it's I can't believe she's 15 ridiculous is what it is that makes me feel old now what do you mean what about me what about me seriously <laughs> what am I doing with a 15 year old and a 10 year old and I would have had a 25 year old had Geneva not you know tragically passed away but that's a separate story but anyway thank you so much for joining me today and guys tomorrow um on tomorrow's episode I'm just changing the screen in tomorrow's episode, I have Clara, and she's going to be talking about her IVF journey as a couple. And as I said at the start of um, today's episode, I think a lot of people feel as though if you're in a couple, there's more support. But I know for a fact that doing IVF as a couple can put a strain on the relationship. So it'll be interesting to hear her story um, doing IVF in a foreign country and how and how that compares um, with uh, my story and so yeah there'll be lots of information on that um, episode tomorrow so gonna say goodbye now and um, look forward to sharing yet another video and another podcast episode remember guys be great because you are thank you bye